You guys both know how to play tic-tac-toe? Okay. You guys are both really competitive, hyper-competitive, actually. I know you both very, very well, and you hate to lose. Have you ever played tic-tac-toe with tic-tacs? What? You have never played tic-tac-toe with tic-tacs. I'm your dad, and I know that that's not true. Now, um, you're going to open up tic-tacs, and you're going to place your tic-tac on your tic-tac-toe spot, and I'm going to let ladies go first. So, Jessica, you're going to go first on this round. Place your spot. Okay, she placed it upper right, just so you know. Eli, go in return. Okay, Eli went middle. Okay, Jessica, you're up. Okay, Jessica went lower right. Okay, Eli, where are you going to go? Okay, he goes for the block. He just blocked them in the middle. Jessica, you're up. Okay, stop. You just won. Okay. <laughs> So Jessica has one in the upper right. Jessica has one in the lower right. Jessica went for the left column middle. Uh, and Jessica, you just won. Okay? Now, Eli, you look really confused by this. Are you confused? Why are you confused? You blocked her there, but what does that matter? Yeah, you blocked her. But what I, what I didn't tell you guys... I forgot to tell you something, but the way I play tic-tac-toe is the first person that puts three marks or three tic-tacs on the board wins. It doesn't matter where you, where you go, okay? You want to try it again? Watch, we're going to try it again. Okay, Eli, you're up first. Go. Okay, he went upper, middle, center. Go, Jessica. Are you feeling deflated yet, Jessica? How did I just say we win at tic-tac-toe in this version? First person to go through. You, you kind of think he might win. Go, Eli. Okay, Eli went... Uh, middle right. He's not even going for a line right now. <laughs> Jessica went l- uh, upper left, and Eli went lower right. Okay, keep going. Okay, Jessica went lower left, and Eli went upper right. Okay, stop. Jessica, you just won. So Jessica has a cool design that goes like this. It creates a little arrow to the right. And Eli's form sort of like a seven. I like arrows more than sevens. And so I was just going off which, which pattern I like best. So Jessica, you, you actually win this round, okay? Um, would you give it up for our two volunteers? All right. I need those Tic Tacs for second hour. Or don't put them back. You can eat those. You can eat the ones off the floor if your parents say it's okay. Eli, you're good. You've eaten far, far worse. Um, here, Eli, get all these. That is the tiniest tic-tac-toe drawing I've ever seen, by the way, Jessica. You win, you win the prize for that, too. Um, okay, now, we have some really, really good sports there helping us out, and I really appreciate that, you guys. Um, isn't it hard? I'll talk to Jessica and Eli for a second. Isn't it hard to get along When we use the same exact name for something, but have different meanings to it? Isn't that hard? Was it a little frustrating or maybe a little surprising that the the normal rules of tic-tac-toe that you both understood the rules to be were different and I was exerting different rules over you? Was that frustrating at all or surprising? surprising? Surprising. Okay, not frustrating though. You're an overcomer, Eli. I like that. That's good. That's a good skill to have in life. When names are called by something different, it's hard to get along. It's hard to communicate with each other. When the rules are changed by the person with the mic, it can feel really surprising, maybe on the good end. It can feel really frustrating on the negative end of things. I want to show you something that, um, that struck me. I was listening to a book this week called The Beauty of Intolerance. It's by Josh McDowell and Sean McDowell, a father-son duo uh, that go around um, speaking and, and sort of talking, kind of Christian apologetics. Um, but I know that the son, Sean, is a, is a teacher at a, at a seminary. And what they brought up was this in their book, and I'm just going to quote them verbatim, but I want to do a little test for you. There's a handout in your hand if, if, you, if you got one. Um, and what I want you to do is this. I'm going to show you some definitions Um, And what I want you to do is I want you to take the definitions and I want you, they're in order. So there's, there's, there's a first one and a second one. If you think that the definition lines up with the biblical worldview, then I want you to write B. If that, if that first statement is the biblical one, write B. 
And then the second one is going to be what they call, and I think it's a good term, they call it a cultural definition. I want to call it a current cultural definition. Because cultural definitions change with the zip code, right? Change with country barriers and change with time. So here's what you are doing. You're going to write either B, C, C. For the first one was biblical. The second one was cultural, uh, uh, current cultural. Or if the first statement was current cultural definition and the second one is the biblical one, you'll write C, C, B. Okay, got it? A little confusing. It'll make sense as we go. Here's the first one. The first one is the word tolerance. Okay? Now, the first definition up here is this. Recognize and respect others when you don't share their beliefs or practices. Okay, that, that is either a biblical uh, picture of the word tolerance or a current cultural definition. Here's the second definition. Recognize and respect that every individual's values, beliefs, and truth came, claims are equal. Okay? So if you think the first one is biblical, you would write B, and then you would write CC, because B was the, biblical was the first one. If you think the first one is the cultural definition, you would write CC, current cultural definition, and then B. That's for the word tolerance. Next, write the word respect. For respect, here's the first one, wholeheartedly approve of others, uh, of, of others' beliefs and lifestyle choices that they're equally valid. That's one definition of respect. Is that the current cultural definition or is that the biblical definition? Here's the other one. Give due consideration to others as valuable human beings without necessarily endorsing their beliefs and lifestyle choices. Okay, got it in your head? Tolerance, respect. Here's another word, dignity. Dignity, created in the image of God, humans have an inherent worth of infinite value Or, humans have an inherent worth shaped and realized by personal choice and standards created by the individual. Let me keep going. I'll come back to these, by the way. Uh, I need to advance. There we go. Acceptance. Endorse and praise others for their beliefs and lifestyle choices. Or embrace people regardless of their beliefs and lifestyle choices. Which one would you say is the biblical framework, which is the current cultural definition? How about moral judgment? Moral judgment. No one has the right to judge another's moral truth or behavior. Is that biblical or cultural? Or certain things are morally right and wrong as determined by God's word. This one should be an easy one. I'll give you a hint. If it has God's word in the definition, it's probably the biblical one. All right, here's another one. Personal preference. Man, we talk a lot about personal preference. Individual preferences of art, food, clothing, style, hobbies, etc. are personally determined. Or personal preference means that individual preferences of sexual behaviors, value systems, and beliefs are personally determined. Okay, now... I hope for many of us, I hope this was like, Dave, give me something harder. Good. I think that's using the powers of discernment and reason. And you go, yeah, I think I passed the quiz pretty easily. I think I was able to determine which of those two uh, was either biblical framework or current cultural framework. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, disciples. Let me just tell you, this would be a great list. I'll just post this, by the way. This is from a book. I'll give credit to it. I'll post this in Slack. So you have these all written down, okay? Um, I went and painstakingly, this is a bummer about listening to an audiobook. I had to painstakingly go back and like hit pause and be typing exactly what he said. It'd be really worthwhile, parents, to sit down and discuss this. Because of this, ready? People are calling tic-tac-toe something that isn't tic-tac-toe in your mind. People are saying that the the way to win tic-tac-toe is to create a design that best suits the person with the mic in that moment. Or, next time, it's just whoever got three checks on the board first. Rules in flux. And I know, I know Jessica, if I made you lose twice, we would have had to have like our ushers turn into security to hold her back. She's competitive. She'd be like, no way. 
It would cause frustration, even if she held it together politely while on stage. And that is what's simmering. This is some of what is simmering. Let me give you uh, the answers. Okay, here's the answer key. Um, You can grade your neighbor. You don't have to switch papers if you want. I trust you. Um, We're going to put the biblical one in red. Jesus' words are in red in my Bible. I like that. I like a red letter edition. I like seeing these are the words of Jesus. Now, these aren't the specific words of Jesus. But I think Jesus would have held to these uh, pictures of it. Okay, Here's number one. Uh, The first one for tolerance, it's recognize and respect others when you don't share their beliefs and practices. That's a biblical framework of tolerance versus sort of the the new tolerance that's being used in conversation. How about the word respect? I would say the second one is the biblical one, right? Give due consideration to others as valuable human beings without necessarily endorsing their beliefs and lifestyle choices. Does that sound like a biblical framework? Yes, it does. I can say that authoritatively because I know my Bible. How about dignity? Created in the image of God, humans have an inherent worth of infinite value. Let me move on. Acceptance. Here's the biblical framework. Embrace people regardless of their beliefs and lifestyle choices. How about moral judgment? Certain things are morally right and wrong as determined by God's word. That's what we're doing here this morning. I'm going to read a text for you in a moment that is laying out that very thing. I am making moral judgments. I'm not making them. I'm passing them on as messenger this morning. And finally, personal preferences, individual preferences of art, food, clothing, style, hobbies, etc. are personally determined. Amen! Of course there's personal preferences. But things like value systems, behaviors, our sexuality, our gender, our beliefs are not personally determined. That's a framework I want to sort of move forward with uh, for this morning. Now, let me ask a question, Um, and this is just a real question with real responses coming back. There's lots of participation uh, this morning, so just be ready for that. Um, And just so we can keep things sane and safe, just kind of pop your hand up so I can see you. I'll address you, and um, I'm going to repeat the question just for people who are uh, worshiping at home. They can kind of hear what's going on, okay? Kids, listen up. You're involved in this. You're involved in the whole morning. Are rules good or bad? Are rules good or bad? What do you think about that? My daughter, this is beautiful, my seven-year-old daughter and my seven-year-old son are giving thumbs up to rules. Wow, I like that. What is said in here may or may not be used against you in future bedtimes. All right, rules are good, say the seven-year-olds. Who else has it? Let's go beyond, uh, let's go beyond they're good or bad. That's kind of binary, right? Um, Are rules good or bad? What do you guys think about that? What kinds of things stir up in your mind as we talk about that? Are rules good or bad? What do you guys think? And just kind of shoot your hand up. Pull your mask off so I can read your lips while we, while we converse. What do you guys think? I know you have ideas about this. You're all wearing a mask right now. That's a rule. <laughs> right? Yeah. It depends on who's making the rules. Anyone else thinking that? Raise your hand if you were thinking that. Yes. That's a huge thing. Bad rule maker leads to what? Bad rules. Okay, what else comes to mind when you ask the question, are rules good or bad? Eli. I see. So it depends on the circumstances as to, is that as to whether rules generally are good or bad, Eli? Okay. All right. What else? What else comes to mind? Rules good or bad? What do you think? Huh? Are they consistent? Okay. So rules being good or bad might, might have to start having to do with enforcement and kind of how they're, how they're exacted. In fact, maybe your judgment on the rule would be, how is that actually fleshed out in real life, right? So are rules good and bad? We, we actually think about this quite a bit. Um, by the way, two quick things I jotted down. I put, it depends. Depends on what? Depends on who makes them and how they're enforced. I just covered the same exact things you did. Kind of just off the top of my head. Here's the second one. Do rules um, limit freedom or do they give you freedom? What do you think on that? Do rules give freedom or limit freedom? What do you think? Raise your hand. Let me see some answers. What do you say, Sharon? It depends. it depends. On what? Okay. What else do you guys think? Do, do rules give freedom 
or limit freedom? It limits freedom. Okay, what's an example of that, Eli? Okay, so is it limit freedom or give freedom? Limits freedom. Okay, so a concrete example of that is a boundary. You don't have the freedom to go beyond that boundary, right? Anyone want to add to that or counter that? Do rules give or limit freedom? Carl. Okay, depends on whose moral judgment it's based on. Gods or current cultural. Okay. Can someone think of a concrete example where a rule gives freedom? Huh? Freedom of speech. Okay. That's a, that's a rule that says you have the right uh, and freedom to, to speak. Jim. Train tracks. Train tracks. Yeah. Man, I hadn't thought of that. Train, a train track is a great example of a limiting factor that, that doesn't give you freedom to just take the train wherever you are, unless you're the Polar Express, right? Um, you have to stay on the track, but it gives you incredible freedom to go wherever the track is laid, right? That's a good, that's a good example. I want you guys to think as we move forward, I want you to think as we are going to read from God's word about God's law, Okay. I want you to think about your relationship to rules. Uh, let me give you an example of something that I believe is a, a rule um, that is incredibly restrictive and incredibly freedom-inducing, okay? Let me give you the rule of God's, God's rule for marriage. God's rule for marriage is this, one, one woman plus one man for all of time. Do you see the incredible limiting factor in that? When I stood before my family and friends and God and made a vow to commit to love one woman for the rest of my life and build a life with her, incredibly limiting. Tons and tons and tons and tons of freedom was taken away from me. Amen? Yes, amen. Was I given a tremendous amount of freedom? Absolutely. That one rule about marriage has given me limitless freedom within that relationship. Doesn't it stand to reason that if two Christians are keeping a vow before the Lord in marriage, the covenant of marriage, doesn't it stand to reason that loads of things don't ever enter the equation? STDs don't enter the equation. Being cheated on doesn't enter the equation. All kinds of freedoms open up in vulnerability, in trust, in bouncing ideas off of. So as we, in, as we abide by rules, it is both exceedingly limiting and exceedingly freedom-giving. There's a complex sort of a relationship to that. Here's where I want to go this morning. Big idea is this. That rules always come from a ruler. Rules always come from a ruler. And God, as perfectly loving and just ruler, can be trusted with the rules he lays out for us. Always. In fact, I'd go stronger than that and say, he must be trusted if you want to live the life you were meant to live. Not only can the ruler be trusted, he must be trusted to live the, the, the life you were meant to live. If God says something is in bounds, catch this, that means that this is good and glorious. It's glorious for God. It's glorious for the way he knit everything together. It's exceedingly good for you. Run in that. Run in the freedom of that. God has said that's in bounds. Conversely, if God says it's out of bounds, listen to me. That means it's terrible for you. It is dishonoring to God. Run from it and know that what that activity is, what that thought is, what that behavior is, is not neutral. It's terrible. If it's not lawful, it's awful. There's so many neutral things that we deal with on a daily basis that are slowly eroding our life of faith. 
Our inner life is deteriorating and crumbling and dying little by little by little over what we deem neutral things. But those of you who've walked the, the, the life of faith with Jesus long enough know this. If it's, not, if it's not right in step with Jesus, if it's not drawing you towards the Savior, it is actively doing something else, pulling you away. Even if nothing else, just to distract you or numb you to what is true and good. Let me ask a personal question too. You don't have to respond to this. You can just think about it. What is your personal relationship to rules? Some of you in this room, if I were to say, hey, are you a rule follower or a rule breaker by nature? Don't raise your hand. But some of you would say, if I had to tilt on a scale, I'd probably be this. Some of you are like, nope, I know for sure I am this. Rule followers, rule breakers. Hear me clearly, as a sinner, because of the curse of Adam and Eve and the original sin, we're all sinners. But there's a bent in some of us that is really hyper about rules. They want to know the boundaries. They want to follow them. And then guess what? They want to make sure other people are following them too. They take careful notice when, yep, that guy's guy's on my team. He's a rule follower. That person, man, unbelievable. Didn't follow it. Others of you are like, yeah, I don't understand those rule follower people at all. Rules were made to be broken. Oh, I'm glad I'm in the presence of other sinners. You guys know that too. I I thought that was only me that knew that one. All right, rule breakers and rule followers. Here's what's interesting. You ever have a circumstance thrust into your life where all of a sudden you are a rule maker or rule enforcer? Parents, the moment you become a parent, you're now a rule maker. All you rule breakers are like, wait, rules are kind of cool. I like them. All of a sudden you get advanced in work and you're over people. You're now managing people. You're now managing what you used to be and do. And you're like, oh, enforcement of rules. Got it. So we can change our relationship to rules over time. Let me give you a hint to future parents. Let me give you an encouragement or a rebuke to current parents. Um, And really all of us feed into this. And that is this. That if you separate rules from relationship, what you are actively promoting and breeding is rebellion. When you take rules and you divorce it from relationship, you are stirring up rebellion in the people that you are making the rules, talking the rules, walking through life with the rules about. And the reason this fundamentally is true is seen in God. God shows us this. We don't get rules apart from relationship. He's the one who shows us how to do it. Just jot down Ephesians 5, 1 to 2. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2 says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. Here's the principle. God, does, God doesn't just want us to get it right, but to live it right. He didn't just give us rules to like give little quizzes and tests on a Sunday morning. He didn't just give us rules from a distance. He says, be imitators of me. That's a collection of law and rules, by the way, as beloved children. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Some of you grew up in very horrific, broken, maybe even abusive homes. I'm praying God actively is restoring your picture of God as father. But part of why teens are angry in their, in their teen years is when they see dad not acting the way dad should have been acting all along. Dad, you weren't my protector. You weren't my champion. You didn't model it for me. You did not not exasperate me. In fact, you exasperated me to no end. And so teenage rebellion kind of stirs up from that. God gives the picture of imitate me, he says, as beloved children. And Jesus, the ultimate rules with relationship, came to us to live amongst us, to show us how to flesh it out. All right, so this series we're in is called 1 Timothy, uh, and we're calling it this, Dwell Well in the House of God. It's from a verse we're going to get to in chapter 3. Paul's writing to a younger guy, a younger pastor. He's teaching him how to do life and leadership in the local church. This family of faith, also known as the church. And he's going to call the church this. He says, if if I delay in coming to you, Timothy, you will know how to behave in the household of God, which is a pillar 
and buttress of the truth. We can know how to get along as church members. You know why? Because God's told us how. And he didn't just chuck a bunch of rules out of an airplane that sort of drifted down, landed or midst. We go, okay, let's unpack the rules, read the Bible. No, it's, it's, it's in relationship. It's God putting on flesh, showing us how does this all flesh out literally. So dwell well is the fact that we're able to live great with one another, not just get by. Truth is absolutely central to God's love. Today, I'm going to be talking about this term sound doctrine. I'm going to say sound doctrine a bunch. What is sound doctrine? We talked about this last week. Doctrine simply means teaching. Sound doctrine could be translated wholesome teaching. Teaching that aligns with reality. Sound doctrine. It's going to come up over and over again, not just today, but in in the days ahead. Know that sound doctrine informs and fuels both our love and worship of God and the way that we treat one another. Let me say that again. Sound doctrine informs and fuels our worship and love vertically with God and horizontally with one another. Let me say to those of you who have come in here this morning, and because this is a safe place of truth, you know that you're allowed to talk this way. But if you are here today and you feel your love for God is growing cold, listen up. Study Him. Give yourself to looking at the height and depth and width and breadth of the love of God. Sound doctrine will fan into flame the true Christian. That knowledge will fan into flame the feeling. If you come in here, you're cold towards God, study Him. Conversely, if you come in here today and you say, Pastor, I'm cold towards people. Beautiful picture of marriage. Not feeling it today. I love my kid last week. I'm struggling with them. Kids, you're like, man, my parents are kind of getting on my nerves. My siblings getting on my nerves. Workmates, roommates, neighbors getting on my nerves. If your love towards other people is growing cold, how does sound doctrine help that? Well, study truth. See people for who they really are as God teaches who they are. This fans into flame a burning passion for other people, even people you don't know. You don't have to feel love to love. Love is repeatedly commanded in the scriptures. You are commanded to love one another, brothers and sisters in the household of God. You are commanded to love your neighbor as yourself. You are even commanded to love your, what's the double black diamond of love? Enemies. How could I possibly do that? How can I get along with a neighbor that's annoying me to no end? You study and think about people according to sound doctrine. Get a framework of what's really going on. It will fan into flame a passion for people that the whims of fickle feeling won't ever do. Last week we talked about sorting good and bad truth. It's going to come into play this morning as well. False teachers... Paul warns Timothy, deal with them like a bad berry. Don't just keep eating the berries. Don't leave bad berries in the berry bunch. It's going to get nasty. What do false teachers do? They major on minors. They wander away from the truth. They're caught up in controversies and meaningless talk. They promote speculation. That's what they do. That's who false teachers are. Today, what we're going to do is this. We're going to see the result down the road of what happens when false teaching takes root in someone's life. So last week was the false teachers. This week is the fruit that comes from bad thinking, which comes from bad doctrines taught by bad teachers. Follow? Here we go. I want to do something that we just did at Hume Lake all week as a pastor's retreat. Hume has a long-standing tradition of this, and it can become kind of religious where we just forget we're doing it, but it was really meaningful to sort of be re-immersed in this as we were at the pastor's retreat uh, 
week and a half ago uh, up at Hume Lake, and that is this. One guy said this. I loved it. He said, of anything I'm going to say this morning, really, really, really dial in to what we're about to hear because this is God's eternal timeless truth that does not change. And so in honor of the reading of God's word this morning, would you stand up with me and let your body give attention to the most important words that you will hear come out of my mouth this morning. This is God's word from 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 8. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, That the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. God, would you now bless the reading of your word this morning? Amen. You can grab a seat. Let me start where the passage begins. The law is good. The law is good. Because it comes from God, the law is good. And as we talked about in, this more, in the first part, they actually, it actually brings freedom, tremendous freedom. Psalm 119, verses 1 to 2 says this, How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies. And then for 174 more verses, it goes on to sing the praises of God's law. And Psalm 119 is a great place to keep coming back to if you're feeling stagnant in your church attendance, stagnant in your personal Bible study. Romans seven twelve says this, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. What did Jesus say on the law? He said that it's good and it gives us freedom. He says, I didn't come here to abolish the law, but do what? Fulfill the law. Jesus regularly in his interactions with people, people would come and want him to make a judgment, a moral judgment. What would Jesus say? Time and again, he would say this. He'd say, what do you see? what, What is written? How do you understand that? What is appealing to is go to what God's already given to you. Many of us are guilty of saying, God, I want to know your will. Please just show me. I'll give you a fair heads up. If you come and ask the pastor of that, the pastor will go like this. Tennis, I'll just volley it right back to you. Here's what I will say. You want to know God's will. Have you been checking his written will? Are you immersed in his written will? Do you have an understanding of sound doctrine? Because sound doctrine helps us deal with the intricacies that the Bible doesn't explicitly speak to. So refer to what is already written. Now, Paul's being a little bit punny here. He wasn't a biological dad, but he was a spiritual dad, so he kind of gets dad jokes. He says this, the law is good if it's used lawfully. The law is good if it's used lawfully. Remember we sat up here at first and we said our law is good or bad? What was the answer? In general, it depends. The Bible agrees with you. The laws are good if it's used lawfully. Well, what does that mean? Let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you or someone you know or observe ever use the law as loopholes? Always searching for a technicality of saying, well, you didn't actually say this. That's using the law unlawfully. Do you or someone you know ever use the law to win arguments and put people down? That's using the law unlawfully. Do you ever use the law to proclaim your own righteousness, your own goodness? That's using the law unlawfully. 
Do you ever use the law as a means to salvation? That's unlawful. Do you ever use the law to show how unfair or out of touch the lawgiver is? That's rebellious and unlawful use of the law. Last one. Do you ever use the law to show off how above the law you are? Man, so many people, you can just tell by the way they act, they, they preach with their mouth. Those rules apply to every other general lemming out there, but not me. I used to go to Starbucks back in the day when I went places. Um, Starbucks at Foxworthy and Chair. I was just there recently for the first time in a long time. This guy used to pull up in his slammed, lowered VW bug, and he would pull right up. Everyone else had to park and find a spot and walk into the spot. He would pull right up and just park right there. Red curb and all, get out, order his coffee, doctor up his coffee, walk out, and leave. I'm like, ah, must be cool to just like have the laws not apply to you. I got, man, I want to know how, no placard that says I don't get to, you know, I get a special parking spot. No one gave him permission. He just does it. And that happens over and over and over again. If you use the law this way, guess what? The Bible says this, laws are for you. Laws are for that guy at Starbucks doing those things. So how do you use the law well? How do you not abuse the law? What proper place do rules and the law have? The scriptures are going to help us with this. And let me just take you to a couple of passages. First of all, I'll I'll just touch on Romans and Galatians here for a second. I don't have these in your notes this week, so you're going to have to take some notes. Write down Romans 3.23. Great passage to note. To, to know and memorize, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So every one of you and me is a rule breaker on an ongoing and regular basis. How do we know for sure that that's true? Enter the law. The law tells us that we're rule breakers. Here's Romans 3.19. Listen for this as we read it. The law draws a line and demonstrates that no one has stayed in bounds. No one. Romans 3.19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole, bo- and, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. How many people are included in the whole world? A lot, like to everyone, 100%. It lines up with Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Hear me if you're new to the program. This is a huge relief. This bad news is actually the most giant sigh I think you can arrive as a human being. Being exposed as a sinner, being exposed as a lawbreaker, having your mouth shut before God leaves all the exhaustion of trying to pretend and carry on the activity of making clothes out of fig leaves like Adam and Eve did in the garden to hide our shame, to somehow hide from God. Being released of that is actually a wildly helpful thing. Thank you, God, for your mercy at calling us sinners. goes on to say this, verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. How do you know you're a lawbreaker? Because the law shows it to you. It draws the line and says, you aren't measuring up to this. The law shows us God and shows us good. And the law functions as a giant sign that says you need saving. (laughs) That's what it's meant to do. Your own goodness will never, ever, ever, ever measure up. The law restrains us and shows us how we sin, but how it can never save us eternally. Galatians chapter 3, write this down, verse 24. Oops, that's not Galatians 3, 24. Neither is that. Just listen. The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. The law acts as a guardrail on a narrow mountain road that will keep you from killing yourself, keep you from driving off of a cliff. You can't be trusted driving at night on a windy mountain road. You need laws to restrain you. You need something in writing. You need discipline of the Lord to say, oh, I need to stay in bounds. 
That all was given until Christ came. He came as one under the law by coming in human flesh to redeem those who were under the law. The doctrine we're talking about, by the way, if you want to do more research on this, just write justification. It's the doctrine of justification, which quite simply says we're made right by being united with Jesus by faith, not by keeping rules. The simple doctrine of justification that the Bible teaches is we are made right with God by being united to Christ in faith and not by keeping rules. Romans and Galatians have tons more to say about that, but we won't look at it. We use an incredible tool around our house. It lives on my phone. It's called the New City Catechism. And our family, as a Carlson family, we take roughly one of these a week, and it's a, it's a question and answer version of, of doing things, and it teaches us the ways of God. Here's a little hint, parents, grandparents, disciplers of other people you're discipling. As you build other people up in their faith, guess what God miraculously does? He builds you up in your faith. As I am teaching my kids doctrinal truths through this little simple tool, it's building up your pastor. It's building up their father. I, as a Christian, am growing because I'm so concerned about teaching them. Now, um, here's question 15. I'm going to actually quiz my kids. I have several of my kids in here this morning. Um, We just reviewed all 30 questions yesterday, and we help each other out, and we kind of, you know, uh, work our way through it. Um, But here's question 15. Since no one can keep the law, what is its purpose? This is is a screenshot of my phone from a couple of days ago. Since no one can keep the law, what is its purpose? This one happens to have some hand motions. Um, Any of my kids want to give it a shot? It starts with this, you guys, that we may know. Tegan, I know you know this. What do we got? That we may know. Anyone? That's it. That we may know the holy nature of God. We have half a heart we come to, and our own sinful nature, and thus our need for a Savior. Isn't that beautiful? Super simple. Three part to this answer, that we may know the holy nature of God. That's that's the proper use of the law. You don't know how to use the law lawfully? Let it point to a holy good God, and the sinful nature of our own hearts, and thus our need for a Savior. You ever wonder why the Ten Commandments, why this list that we just read? It's to show these three things, at least. Who is the law for? Verse 9 says, The law is laid down not for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners. Here's what I want to show you. I want to show you that there is a pattern to this list of sinners that Paul just laid out to Timothy. Look at your Bibles. Anyone see the pattern? Anyone see what's there? I know this is probably hitting it cold, but anyone see what's, what's happening with this list? Let me show it to you this way. Here is the Ten Commandments on the left side. Here is his list on the right side. No other gods, that's the ungodly. No idols, sinners. No blasphemy, the unholy. Keep a rest day holy, that's the Sabbath. That's those who profane. What is, what is profanity? It's taking holy things and making them unholy, using them for common purpose. Honor parents, now it's getting more specific, isn't it? more intense. Those who strike their moms and dads, that means hit them. Uh, No killing, that's murderers. No adultery. Sexually immoral is treating those of the opposite sex in a a wrong way, in, in all of its varieties. Those people in front of you, those on screens through pornography and other kinds of things. Homosexuality is, is mistreating your own gender. That's no adultery. No stealing. Enslavers literally is kidnappers. When you hear slavery in the Bible, you need to understand what it is. There's a specific word for what Americans think of as slavery. Throughout world history, the world, human beings, have had a problem stealing people and selling them. Isn't that what comes to your mind when you think of slavery? These are enslavers. Is stealing a paperclip bad? Yes. Is stealing a person and selling them for profit bad? Yes. Both stealing, both lawbreakers, massive consequence difference there. So these are enslavers and no false witness. What's a witness? It's a liar. It's a perjurer. 
So this list goes from more general to really, really specific. And Paul is giving concrete examples of how the law is broken. Now, some of you are rule followers. We've already established this. Some of you might be former Pharisees. And you're like, God saved me from being a Pharisee, but it's still there. Some of you are just really astute. Do you notice that there's only nine up here? What's the 10th commandment? Anyone know? 10th commandment. The positive statement is you should live contentedly. The negative way is thou shalt not covet. No coveting. Why doesn't Paul mention no coveting? There's no direct correlation to that. I don't know, but he totally gets to it in 1 Timothy. Maybe he's like, I'm going to cover that in, in a few chapters. We don't know why. It's not an exact science, but here's what's interesting. The Pharisee heart wants to look at this and justify themselves, don't they? I don't do any of those things. I've never thought about hitting mom or dad. I've kept all of these from my youth. And in their minds, you might be tempted to go home justified. Well, let me just show you verse 10. Look at it yourself. And whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. That is just the catch-all phrase that says if you are somehow using this list to say, well, I don't check off any of those, whatever else is not in accord with sound doctrine. All right, let me give you one final test as we close today. Christians are like doctors. Doctors have to make really, really important decisions, often with very little time, with lots at stake. And the reason a doctor can do these things and diagnose these things is because they have spent hours and hours and hours, in fact, years studying the human body. How could I possibly know if a kidney is failing if I don't understand what a kidney's for and I understand what a healthy one or a failing one is or how they fail? But if I understand those things, I could look at that, diagnose that, and help a person out. In the same way, catch this, Christian, everyday Christian, not pastors and missionaries specifically. By the way, quick pause, we have one of our very own, uh, that dad and brother are sitting in the back right now doing our media. Christine Barber leaves this week for her country of mission that she's heading off to. And as we prayed for her last night going to bed. I let my daughter know she is leaving U.S. soil for the next couple of years because she is compelled by God to love people who don't know Jesus. So, Christine Barber, please remember to be praying for her huge celebration in what's going on in her life. Christian, not just Christine Barber, not just paid pastors. Christian, you are like a doctor in this. You are called to make Many, many decisions throughout your day that have really important consequences and are vastly intricate. That means they're confusing and technical sometimes. How on earth could you possibly do that? Here's how. In the same way a doctor studies the human body, study sound doctrine. Understand what God thinks about the world, about people. Understand his law, his prohibitions, what he celebrates. Understand how he thinks. So that with sound doctrine, equipped with sound doctrine, you can face all of the different decisions you're going to face this week. And you can have a basic understanding of God's rule in the world. Never, ever, ever, ever stop growing in sound doctrine. I'm going to have the band come on up. Here's my, here's my final quiz. Social media. Social media has rule makers and enforcers, right? Big tech, of course they do. Let me give you an example. Spanish politician Francisco Jose Contreras tweeted a response to a news story about a pregnant man giving birth. Here was his tweet. Here was his reply. That's a lie. A man cannot get pregnant. A man has neither a uterus nor ovaries. Twitter banned his account for 12 hours. Now, here's the question. Are the rule makers, are the rule enforcers at Twitter in this particular case 
operating from a biblical framework or a current cultural framework? Call it out. Current cultural. Guess what? You just made a critical decision with things at stake for your own mind to guard every thought. To go, oh yeah, that guy just called something a lie and he's being punished for it. He's calling a lie that which is a lie and he's being punished for it. That ought to lodge in our brain over and over and over again to gain an understanding of what's going on. Here's example two. TikTok, not to be confused with Tic Tacs, by the way, (laughs) is refusing to block or censor those calling for violence against teachers. It was something else. Teen Challenge last week. It's something else this week. Now, Is this lawful or is this awful? From our text today, those who strike their fathers or mothers is a concrete, extreme example of those who started off by not honoring their father and mother. You go from not honoring your father and mother, you slowly wander away from that truth to get to a place where you would strike your father and mother. Here's the point. If someone's willing to strike their father and mother, they wouldn't give two thoughts about striking a teacher because of some idiotic challenge on their social media. Students, young people, young adults, adults who are too bored and spending way too much time if you're hanging out on TikTok. Do not be duped. Do not look at this and think, well, that's just neutral. That's just the way things are. That is wicked. It's awful. What is being promoted, talked about, said is normal, said is acceptable. I want to close by directing your attention to an old Puritan prayer. It's a little bit of a prayer, actually. Our passage says, whatever else is Uh, This is how we should live, by the way. Live by whatever is not contrary to sound doctrine. Live what is in accordance with the gospel of glory of the blessed God, which you've been entrusted if you understand the gospel. This Puritan prayer is for all of us. It's a humble prayer that says this, return again with showers of converting grace to a poor gospel-abusing sinner. Catch me, if that's not you at all today, all you can do is give praise to God and say, God, if that's not true of me today, don't let it be true of me next Sunday either. Never do I want to be a gospel-abusing person. I want to close this morning just singing one song. It's called Give Us Clean Hands. It's going to take, some, in some ways, that prayer and turn it into a song. 